Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. Uh, we want to bring you this breaking news. Fitch has downgraded the U.S. credit rating to a double-A from a triple-A. Uh, they note the difference in governance between AA-rated countries versus AAA-rated countries. Also, uh, the continuous or the, the many, many political showdowns surrounding the debt limit. We knew uh, when the debt limit showdown was going on that Fitch was considering this downgrade even if the debt limit was not breached. And so here we are with the downgrade of the U.S. credit rating to a AA-plus from a AAA. Fitch's decision is puzzling in light of the economic strength we see in the United States. I strongly disagree with Fitch's decision, and I believe it is entirely unwarranted. Its flawed assessment is based on outdated data and fails to reflect improvements across a range of indicators, including those related to governance, that we've seen over the past two and a half years. I strenuously object. Is that how it works? Objection. Overruled. No, 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 no. No, I strenuously object. Oh, wow. Strenuously object, and I should take some time to reconsider. Eventually, this was going to come to a neighborhood near you. Having someone embedded is a good start. That, that came from the Secretary of Homeland Security. We want to thank him. But I've been very clear on what we need. We need to control the border. We need to call a state of emergency, and we need to properly fund this national crisis. Basically, some sort of like bizarre, like communism rebranded thing, which is like a lot of what ESG is, mm -hmm. um, and uh, to be inflicted upon corporate America without the knowledge of the actual shareholders, which is what's going on. The big firms, the Tiro, BlackRock, you know, you know. Vanguard, all of them, they're like, uh, they're, they're setting themselves up for the, the, the biggest class action lawsuit in the history of class action lawsuits by an order of magnitude. Yeah. The nature of democracy is, is it's, there, there are two sides to it in terms of the nature of it. There's duality. And welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 142 here on Thursday, August third and i am your co-host tom Pyle, and i'm mike mckenna because no one else wants the job <laughs> no one else could do that job mike mckenna doing Let's a, put it way. doing a job that americans won't do telling the truth truth teller um i i i don't know what to say he's gonna show up in washington today at four o'clock at the Courthouse, the E. Barrett Prettyman Courthouse on Constitution Avenue, across the street from his old hotel, mm -hmm. down the street from his old residence. I actually, walk. And he will be pleading not guilty to four felony charges related to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. That Jack Smith is a creepy looking dude. Yeah, he looks like a villain in a Marvel comic, is what I wrote. No, right? Yeah. The, the, I was the, thinking about that. The, the, um, 
Yeah, I walked past the I walked past the circus. I didn't know about this thing today. I walked past the circus on the way to an actual actual business thing, and um, you know, the freak show is pretty high. Freak show's pretty, and that was like at eleven o'clock. Yeah, it was about ten forty five. We have the Trumpers in the, in the crowd, or we what? Had the, we had the Trumpers. We had the Never Trumpers. We had the media. We had the cops. We had poor schnooks like me who were just trying to get to work. It was a it was a full day over at the E Barrett Prettyman Court. Usually, I have that place all to myself, just me and at nighttime the rats. But uh, this was like a whole it's like a whole traveling circus over there. I, I didn't have the heart to tell the guys parked out front that he's. They usually bring these guys in in the back. Yeah. So I I did a little bit of, you know, like everyone, just kind of scrolling around the interwebs on on this. And and I there was one thing that caught my attention. It was kind of weird. I'll, I will read it to you. It's from Politico. It says, the multitude of police departments in the nation's capital, the U.S. Capitol Police, Metropolitan Police Department, Park Police, Police, Park Police, Marshals Service, and the Federal Protective Service have been preparing for the indictment and arraignment for weeks. Really? They held several calls Wednesday to review their protection plan. Really We're prepared, it. said U.S. Capitol Police Chief Thomas Manger, who, by the way, yesterday turned turned out to uh, clear the Senate out of the uh, clear the, the staff out of the Senate because of, of a of a false alarm on an active shooter. So uh, th- th- I just thought that was a little bit odd that they've been preparing for weeks Cheers for the that. indictment. I don't really knew this for like 10 days now. So were they preparing in case he was indicted? Because it wasn't very clear in the reporting. So I don't know. You know what? I'm Anyways, what, uh, what, what, you know, it, they, 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 what is that up to now? He's got like 67 counts on him or something I between I think Manhattan and. I think it's 76. Okay. I had dyslexia there, but I I don't even know what to think of it. Uh, it's, I have no idea. I, I've said this before. A couple of these things are going to get shot down for prosecutorial misconduct. Jack Smith's probably not going to do that, but um, I have no idea how you impanel a jury on any of this stuff. I really don't. Um, you know, it, whatever, whatever happens inside, inside, a, inside the trial, is going to get bounced by a, an appellate court almost immediately because they're going to be like, "Look, you 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 started with a tainted jury, right? You knew you you knew the jury was tainted. You this guy, this guy's the most well known human on the planet at the at the moment. You're not going to be able to get twelve people who have no opinion about him, right? Especially yeah, not the especially district, in D.C. Right? Say, especially not in the District of Columbia. Maybe if like it was the the country of Columbia, you could find twelve people without an opinion." <laughs> But in the yeah. District of Columbia, no, no, I, 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 I don't want to say this is kabuki because it's more serious than that. But you know, it, it. My favorite is is that everyone's like, "Why does he always get a bump after he gets indicted?" I'm like, "Gee, let's think about that for a second. Because you guys keep setting up these plebiscites between, you know, the elites and him, and he's going to win that plebiscite a hundred times out of a yeah, hundred. Yeah, well, that's hundred hundred percent true. And you know this thing, the, his his approval rating, his his the 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 number of people who say he's going to vote for him in the Republican primary, directly related to what people think about the elites in this country, legal and media. I, yeah, this is not well. You know, there's a thing floating around. I don't know if you saw it from David Brooks, 
Oh, brother. In the New York Times. Is he still alive? I thought he was dead. He's still alive, and he writes, what if we're the bad guys here? And he has his whole jag on, like, how the elites uh, at the Ivies and everything have set up this two-tiered nation, of which he proudly <laughs> identifies himself as part of and and goes into the whole story of no wonder, you know, this guy cannot, you know, uh, you know, like what did Trump say? He could murder someone and it wouldn't affect his poll ratings. Uh, he, he sort of ends it with saying, you know, we need to look at ourselves and, and sort of the mess we've created uh, or, or Trumpism is just, you know, is not going anywhere. It's inevitable. Um, okay, great. But, you know, here's here's the line. It's like, are Trump supporters right that the indictments are a just political witch hunt? Of course not. As a card-carrying member of my class, I still basically trust the legal system and the neutral arbiters of justice. Trump is a monster in the in the way we've all been saying for years and deserves to go to prison. But there's a larger context here. And then he just kind of closes with, you know, we, we can condemn ourselves for Trumpism. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's Dave Brooks, all five foot two of him, right? Um, yeah. You know, he, he I, I believe in the rule of law, except for this one guy who I want to put in jail, despite the fact that he's been found guilty of nothing so far. Yeah. And I mean, it. look, yes, the short answer is, I assume I'm being driven there, so I'll just take the shortcut here. The short answer is, yes, guys like David Brooks are the problem. They are the bad guys here. They just are. That doesn't mean that Trump is a wonderful human being. He's not. But you know what? These guys have used the legal system, which they they own a significant chunk of, in ways that it is not meant to be used. And and for that, they are going to regret. That they are going to regret. They're going to regret that because at some point, guess what? It's going to be used against them. I'm looking forward. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the re-education camps that we seem to be heading towards. I'm not sure who's going to put who in what camps, but I'm looking forward to them. Oh, should be a should be dandy. All right, anything else on this? No, God, I'm already tired of it. All right, good, good. Fitch downgraded the United States' credit rating to double A plus from triple A. Yeah, and Janet Yellen is having nothing to do with it. She strenuously objected. Yeah. So, the, you know. Uh, <laughs> By that, the way, that's it, one of it, the best lines in that movie. Is that so. how that works? You strenuously object? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the rating agencies, I, I hesitate to say this, but I believe it. So maybe I shouldn't hesitate to say this. We need to regulate the rating agencies. I don't know who. But somebody needs to regulate the rating agencies because they have power all disproportionate to the involvement of human beings in their decisions. You know, the the you you take a cruise through the countries with double A ratings, uh, with triple A ratings rather. Yeah. Still, Germany, Denmark, Netherlands, yeah. Sweden, Norway, Switzerland, Luxembourg, Australia, Singapore. It reads like a list of who's going to get invaded in the next world war. And who's not going to and who's not going to be able to defend themselves in the next world war? And at least with respect to Germany, who's paying three times more for energy than they need to pay? That's right. It it it, it and and a couple of other things. I I actually will agree with Jamie Dimon, who said, "Who cares? 
one and two, uh, this has no, nothing, no bearing whatsoever on the fact that the United States still has the, in spite of all of the complaints and issues, still has the strongest economy in the world and, you know, the biggest superpower and all that other good stuff and, and pointed out that lots of countries with AAA ratings have minimal interest in protecting human rights, et cetera. Well, so. I will point out one thing real quick. We are providing the defense for at least six of the countries on the AAA rating list. In a normal society, in a well-functioning polity, somebody would say, why in the hell are we guaranteeing German safety, um, Dutch safety, Swedish safety, safety oh, Norwegian I've, safety? I've had, why? What, what I've had plenty of debates about that no. with Europeans who we are uh, uh, – that we are that you referenced and in which my uh uh the defenders uh of the status quo uh bordered on the line of calling me uh the r word so republican no the other one with the racist you know. yeah exactly so I, i'm sorry german people not white oh i just don't want to i don't care what color they are i don't understand why we're defending people who are theoretically better off financially than we are Oh, I, I brought up the, the whole NATO thing and how we basically bankroll NATO. That's and, true. And That's a true fact. What, 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 what? The, there's no possible response to it. We're literally the only country. That's not true. Great Britain, Great Britain, the English-speaking countries are literally the only ones who meet their defense obligation, which is pretty modest. Two percent of GDP. It's not like seven percent of GDP. It's two percent of GDP. Probably a probably a historical low among nations of the world. Sorry, don't get me started. All right, with, so of course the, the, the funny part of this whole story is is that Jared Bernstein, Richie Neal, uh, the Ways and Means chair, uh, ranking member, lead Democrat, uh, a whole host of Democrat hacks, uh, basically blame Trump for this too. Did you see that? No, I didn't. That's oh yeah, no, they're out there. This, the 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 message is well, we're just you know. It's like blaming the housekeepers for the for the the last guy who trashed the place. It's you know these guys are these guys are the best. It's amazing. I mean, we're what three years in? Not quite, but pretty close. That's Biden. Yeah. That's Bidenomics for you, baby. Bidenomics. Blame the last guy. All right. So so who was that right wing Republican politician who called? Who had the audacity? to call for control on the border and the declaration of a state of emergency and fully funding the efforts to clean, to clean up the mess on the southern border. Who was that right-wing politician? I don't know. I assume I, – I, who was it? Eric Adams, the mayor of New York. The, uh, yeah. He literally – that was literally his statement. Yeah, I thought it was a black dude. I was like, yeah. who, who is yeah. it? I was sitting here listening to him like, who is that guy? Um, so – yeah, so what? A couple of busloads, and all of a sudden, we got ourselves a real live emergency. Well, yeah, they're they're spreading out all over into the swanky suburbs now. I think is part of the problem. Well, they flew a bunch into Westchester, they yeah, flew in the Westchester Airport, which kind of makes me laugh a little bit. I mean, I don't live in Westchester, but it does make me laugh. Um, good for Eric. Welcome to the welcome to the welcome to the fight. Welcome to the fight. <laughs> all right, so so. Is, it, the, is New York still a sanctuary city? Yeah, of course. 
Well, the good news is... Did they change the designation? No. No, they would never do that. The good news is, ladies and gentlemen, is that the folks in the country illegally won't be able to go south of 63rd Street unless they pay a congestion fee. So it's a good news, right? You're keeping keeping them out of Manhattan, Midtown and Downtown. So That's an ancillary benefit of saving the planet, I guess. if, If Eric had a sense of humor, he'd mention that. So we're, uh, we're keeping the, them, we're keeping them all north of Yorkville. Good luck. The owner of X, the what the platform formerly known as Twitter, yeah. had one of those uh, Twitter chats with Vivek Ramaswamy. Okay, you're saying it all wrong, Tom. Vivek Vivek oh, Ramaswamy. It's not the first name; it's the last name. You got to enjoy it more. Ramaswamy. Okay, so he basically said ESG is the biggest fraud perpetuated in business and uh, what he called the communist, bizarre communist thing. Uh, And these guys are going to be getting sued here pretty soon. What do you think? That's that's saying a lot for a guy who basically made his fortune by scamming governments out of cash. Almost every one of his businesses. I just, like I said, it's a a hell of a thing for a guy like him to say. Uh, who was an ESG darling until he bought X. Yeah. So. You know, the thing is, I mean, the thing is, the data is now really, I don't say overwhelming, but it's 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 between clear and overwhelming, heading towards overwhelming, that um, ESG performance, e- ESG assessments actually have nothing to do with ESG performance, right? And go back to the rating agencies, ladies and gentlemen, because they do the ESG ratings a lot. So, um I assume at some point somebody's going to sue somebody for fraud and say, you told me that this was going to make a difference and it turned out not to make a difference. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a parallel. It's a parallel with these climate goals, right? So we have climate goals. Oh yeah. We don't have climate goals. Net zero baby by 2050. Did America, has anybody in America voted on that? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't check the last time. I right, just, uh, just wondered if, just want to see if I missed something in the last week or so. Uh, and of course, what week would be a week without a choice clip from our vice president, who pointed out that there are two sides to democracy. Democracy is duality. I would have liked that. To, I would have liked that's to. That's a the, duality. I would have liked to hear the rest of the clip just to see where she went with that. I fifty bucks as we were heading towards a Venn diagram in that thing. No, I didn't catch a Venn diagram. I certainly would have left it in. All right. Any announcements from you? Any announcements from me? I don't think so. I'm sure I have something I should announce, but I can't think what it might be. What is it? It's it's what, August? It's the middle of August? Yeah. Here's my announcement. Here's my announcement. The Yankees are still in last place. Oh, I was gonna get. I was gonna do a little MLB thing later, but go ahead. Go ahead. What's your announcement? So I would like to wish my cousin Joe a happy birthday on the first. He celebrated his birthday. Uh, Joe is an occasional listener to the program. Well, how old is Joe? Um, I'm guessing forty nine. I'm guessing not quite the big uh, five. Yeah, yet. you know what? While we're doing that, we should probably uh, we should probably thank Blue, whose last name we will leave out because I don't. <laughs> There aren't that many blues out there, I but get him in trouble. We <laughs> want to thank Blue for being a listener to the program. Welcome. And, and I didn't know that. Welcome to the program. Go ahead. All right. So I wanted to also wish some safe travels to our buddy and longtime listener, not occasional listener, Steve. 
he and his beloved are heading up to Maine for a little R and R. R and R from what? I hope they have a good time. From what and the guy? Also, what? What the guy just got back from like some deep sea diving thing? What R and R from what? What he put in about he good solid? Hard, dude. Put in a good solid three weeks at the job. Look, just let it go, Mike. Just let it go. Uh, and also, I want feedback on how the pasta turns out, Steve. Let me know. The other thing, I'll, wait a minute, I do have one other announcement. I want to give a great big giant shout out to the United Auto Workers who are basically gearing up for a strike with the big three. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I don't know whose side I'm on on this one. It's really hard to tell. But the one thing I really, <laughs> unions wonder why, like, Nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to have a unionized workforce. Their opening bid was they want to have a 32-hour work week. Yeah, I did see that. And they want to and they want to get paid when they get laid off. They want to get paid for volunteer work they've done, they're doing. I'm just like, God love you. I hope I hope that works because you know, nothing says America like, yeah, we're just mailing it in. Go ahead. So the the other thing too, though, is they have um put uh evs in the crosshairs too they don't want any job losses due to the quote transition so that should be an interesting part of the conversation especially with the most pro-union president in the history of america um so i don't have to talk about this later i had that on the list um i also want to have congratulate one person gary sanchez Uh, what he do He's now with the Padres, and he has a 780 OPS. I thought he was a 123. No, he's now with the Padres, and he's on a tear. He he would be the he would have the third highest OPS and uh, wins above replacement on the New York Yankees if he was still a New York Yankee. Yeah, well, that's a that's a story, right? I mean, uh, Nathan Avaldi, Aaron Hicks, everybody kind of leaves the Sunny Gray. Yeah. Everybody leaves the Yankees and does better. And you know what? There's a reason for that. And I want to. I'm going to cycle around, and, and I might as well just do this now. Since we're talk, since we're talking baseball, there has been a ridiculous thing going on in the last ten days where people are trying to compare Shohei Otani to Babe Ruth. Please. Please don't embarrass yourself. Shohei Otani's had exactly zero at bats um, in America that have mattered. Right, he plays on the Angels that nobody goes to see. Um, you know, Babe Ruth played at the highest levels in baseball for his entire career and excelled. And this guy has shown up. He's you know he's been good for three years. That's what he four years now. He's been good All for right, four well- years. So, so please, anybody who's going to think about telling me about this, please, 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 just talk to me about the Mets, right? Don't talk to me about this. So I had a whole segment on the trade deadline and the winners and losers. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. You would do it now or wait, because we're kind of going out of order here. But so the Yankees and the Red Sox are the big losers in the trade deadline. This, of course, occurred uh, uh, on the first, I believe it was. And... The Mets, actually, the Mets fans uh, are winners, even though the Mets dumped Verlander and Scherzer. They just picked up a boatload of prospects for the future. And, you know, this guy, Cohen, I know they're cursed. They're at, they're, they're at the highest payroll and they're having like a terrible season. 
But at least now in the second half, the Mets can can hang out and watch the games in a low stress situation, knowing that they're slowly and quickly becoming stacked on top of having the ability to buy uh, free agents at a high premium. So I, I think the curse might be nearing an end, ladies but and gentlemen. I could be wrong. Let me, ladies and gentlemen. Let me just let me just reset reality here. The Mets are losers, and that's just the way the world is. And there's nothing, <laughs> no trade on the planet can change that. Sorry. All right. Go ahead. Just the want, just want winners, to level set the truth. Are the recipients of Max Scherzer and uh, Jason Verlander, and that is uh, the Rangers and uh, Houston in that order. Um, they are both uh, – Houston's on – I think they're a couple of games behind uh, first, and um, the Rangers are doing pretty well. So they added – and stacked and the Orioles didn't do anything. They picked up a catcher, but um, they're in first place. Yeah. They got the best record in the American league East. Yeah. That that's only because the Bay, the Rays have vanished. Essentially the, the, the Orioles have no start except for when they played the Yankees. No, everyone's beating the Yankees. There's nothing, nothing great about that. The, the, the Orioles are, have no starting pitching. That's ultimately going to kill them down a stretch. I was just going to say all their three, Starting pitchers are hitting their uh, career highs. Yeah, they're they're in terms of innings pitched. So, and they're going to fatigue, I think. Fast. Yeah, and the, the the only question is who's going to win that division, the Jays or the or the Red Sox? I'm going to bet the Jays this time. I would say one one thing about Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Let me just do Verlander first. I'm sure he's going to do right well now that he's back in Houston, and had is the recipient of stolen signs. I think he'll probably yeah. do fine. Um, he's back with his cheaters, his fellow cheaters. That's right. And Max Scherzer, and this is this is this is a alternative hypothesis, as we like to say in the business. Max Scherzer's never really been of any value to any team, and that's just the hard truth. I mean, the 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 Washington Nationals won this won that World Series despite Max Scherzer, not because of Max Scherzer. They, they, the, the Steve, the, the guy who always got hurt. What's his name? Steve. Um, Strasburg. Strasburg. So anyway, I want everybody to think real hard about Max Scherzer's career. And if you can name me a team that he carried on his back to the playoffs, you call, but let me know. Uh, lastly, the Angels did not deal Otani. And you mean, you mean uh, even though he's not Babe Ruth, you mean the modern day he Babe is Ruth? a hell of a ball player, and uh, he will command probably the first five hundred uh, million dollar salary. Um, so it will remain to see to be seen whether that's a good deal because even though they have not uh, made the playoffs in years, they are about three games out, uh, yeah, and they, so you know they could they could potentially get in this year. They could potentially be that team that goes on a run. We don't know. Oh, boy. So we'll see what happens. This day in history, sir, in oh. 1492. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You betcha. His first transatlantic voyage began on his westward route uh, in the hopes of finding his westward route to India. Um, he departed from Palos, Spain with three small ships. And landed in. I assume he landed in the Azores first, but then he went to the East Indies or West Indies, one of the Indies. 
Caribbean islands, the Gulf of Mexico, and South and Central American mainland, but never accomplished his original goal. So, okay, so this was interesting in doing my research, because, of course, Columbus is an Italian, and the Italian uh, Americans in this country have adopted him as their patron saint. Patron saint. Did you know that the largest lynching in the United States, mass lynching, occurred in New Orleans? I didn't in the 1880s and it was a bunch of Sicilians that got whacked probably by the Irish. No, it was, I mean, who knows who, who was the instigator, but listen to this story. Masses of Italian immigrants who began arriving in America in 1880 stood out from the Northern Europeans who came before them, mostly poor, darker complexions, spoke little English and frequently stereotyped as, simple-minded criminals um well in 1891 after the police chief of norms was gunned down on the street police rounded up 250 sicilian immigrants without cause trying nine for murder all were acquitted for lack of evidence in a 20,000 person mob organized by the mayor and other prominent new orleans citizens stormed the prison and killed nine plus two more yeah, for and good, for strung good. them up, Did they... strung up the mangled corpses, and it was the largest mass lynching in American history. Now listen to this. This is from the New York Times. This is from the New York Times editorial. Did, wait okay? a minute. Wait a minute. Was it about climate? No. <laughs> Go ahead. These sneaking and cowardly Sicilians, the descendants of bandits and assassins, who have transported to this country the lawless passions, the cutthroat practices, and the oath-bound societies of their native country are to us a pest without mitigations. This is your New York Times editorial on uh, describing the incident. I'm sorry, did you have some comment on that? No, I'm just... I mean, do do you think it's not right? The paper, of the the gray lady, the the esteemed New York Times. The you're not going to really make me go through the the list of criminals. No, I'm not. The long list of Sicilian criminals. No, you just you? you just chill out on this. I just <laughs> wanted to make it clear to you that okay, what does this have to do? With, what does this have, have been to... persecuted oh, in this country? Let it persecuted. Oh, let it go. All right, 1984. What, wait a minute. What does it have to do with Christopher Columbus? Oh, uh, because I was I was doing research on Columbus Day and you okay. know how I just became, want to point you know, out that to all our so, listeners, Christopher Columbus was Genoese. He was from Genoa, for God's sake. He wasn't a Sicilian. Go ahead. What's the next right, day in history? Nineteen eighty four. You can guess this one too. You can guess this one. Nineteen eighty four. I see. Think Olympics. Yeah, Carl Lewis wins an Olympic finger. Mary Lou Retton ah, won the all around event at the LA Games. Becoming the first American woman to win an individual gold medal in gymnastics, of course, there was one. Com- uh, there was one country that was not competing. Russia, in said Olympics. So I'm guessing she might have, you know, had a little bit more stiffer competition if the Rus- the Ruskies were there. You, you, you want you want you want my embarrassing Mary Lou Retton story? Oh, of course. Oh God Almighty! So I'm in college, and my best friend is like six foot five, right? He talks to Cindy going to like her book signing in downtown Philly. 
We literally sat in line for two hours waiting to get this guy's book signed by Mary Lou Retton. It, it, I've never been so embarrassed in my life. I'm just sitting there with all these like squealing 10-year-old gymnastic girls, right? And then there's me and my two friends, right, who look just like, you know, we look like we slept in our clothes, which I suspect is what we had done. Anyway, it was, it was, she was, she was very pleasant, but you could tell she was looking at us like, what kind of pervs are you guys? Seriously. <laughs> I was going to go there. I'm glad you did, not me. <laughs> so uh, 1921, This on this day in 1921, even after being acquitted on insufficient evidence. Sacco and Vanzetti. The eight Chicago White Sox players were banned, banned from, from baseball, baseball for life. Yeah. Accused of receiving bribes to intentionally lose the 1919 World Series. Um, Black Sox scandal. Um, and okay, I have one more in 1936. Jesse, another Owens. Jesse Owens. Boom! You nailed it. You got one this week. Well, 1492 was obvious. Yeah, well, you gave me. He was. You made 1492. This was easy. the day that he, uh, Jesse Owens at a, uh, the Berlin Olympics won the the 100 meter event, the first of his four gold medals. Now. There is this whole story about how Hitler sort of slighted him and shunned him or like looked the other way. Well, um, Owens himself commented on this whole snubbed by Hitler thing. He said, Hitler didn't snub me. Quote, it was Roosevelt who snubbed me. The president didn't even send me a telegram, unquote. Roosevelt never publicly acknowledged Owen's triumphs or the triumphs of any of the 18 African-Americans who competed at the uh, Berlin Olympics. Only white Olympians were invited to the White House in 1936. A number of explanations have been offered for the president's actions. Most likely, he didn't want to risk losing support of Southern Democrats by appearing, appearing overly soft on the race issue. And it was not until... 2016, uh, when President Obama invited the athletes' relatives to an event to celebrate their lives and accomplishments. So, uh, another interesting little tidbit. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digesting it. It's yikes. Democrats. Okay. Uh, you want to get into some topics here? I got the energy and environment on the radar. Uh, what do you got? I have a strongly worded letter. <laughs> Those are my favorite kind. From a senator and his and three of his colleagues. Can you guess who it is? Uh, Bernie Sanders. What does he want? Dear, dear Merrick Garland. Oh, boy. We write to strongly urge the Department of Justice to bring suits against the fossil fuel industry for its long-standing and carefully coordinated campaign to mislead consumers and discredit climate science in pursuit of massive profits. Would it be okay if they did it in some other pursuit? <laughs> it goes on and on and on. Of course, on it on goes on and on and on. on. Like, let, me, let me guess. I'll the put other... it in the show notes for some, for some fun reading. Let me guess the other three signatories. Uh, oh, yeah. Elizabeth Warren. Boom, you nailed it. Oh, boy, Brian Schatz from Hawaii. 
No, close. Ah, oh, shoot. I missed that. I feel bad. Um, the new dude from California, Padilla. No. Right? Nope. Really? Nope. Really? Massachusetts. Ed Markey. Sure. Come on, Mike. Ed Markey. And Oregon. Really? Jeff Merkley? Yeah, Jeff Merkley. Jeff Merkley. What's he doing on that? The fossil fuel industry industry has had scientific evidence about the dangers of climate change and the role that burning fossil fuels plays in increasing temperatures for more than 50 years. And they look forward to meeting with the attorney general to discuss this issue as soon as possible. So. <laughs> I like Bernie, but man, sometimes he looks like, dude, if you lost your mind, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, Schumer's for, deal right consumers for letter they're they're like sending letters out for the greens so that they have something Seriously, to do don't, don't you guys run the justice department i mean come on just just look they're not busy with hunter biden stuff now you can just like <laughs> transfer that team over all right so it's official rest in peace who died the incandescent light bulb is now dead oh well, I doubt that. I suspect it's being sold all over the planet. This is from the Hill because they were worried that we didn't have um, the full body of information. Of course, they were probably concerned about Republicans making, you know, pouncing on this on this as well. So uh, the Biden administration has started to fully enforce its ban on most incandescent light bulbs this week. The rule, which officially cemented the switch to LEDs for most consumers, was finalized last year, but it's making headlines again as the government has now finally decided to fully penalize industry violations. This, of course, was um, implemented during Obama, and um, uh, then Trump pulled it back. Uh, 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 yeah, I know. Uh, 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 you know exactly our where I'm friend, going. Our friend from Michigan. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Uh, our friend from Michigan, Kate Upton's uncle. Fred. Had it in his one of his energy fiascos. This was Fred's idea. This was Fred's idea. No. This, is a, this is a Republican idea, ladies and gentlemen, and they all voted for it like the stooges that they were. So, uh, so the 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 main the uh, the hill wanted us to to uh, realize that um, this is more punitive for manufacturers than it is consumers. So they're not going to come and take our light bulbs, uh, in spite of what the Republicans are going to say. But it will say it will save the planet. It'll be very positive for the for the planet because the Energy Department projects that over the course of thirty years. It will cut carbon emissions by 222 metric tons. Really? That's it? That's the number? This is the equivalent of the carbon dioxide emissions of, generated of, by about 28 million homes in one year. That's not right. That's inaccurate. Um, it's the it's equivalent to the 220. I'm sorry. Is it 220 tons? 222 metric tons over the course of 30 years is what the energy department yeah. secretary okay. Jenny. So somebody uh, wants to look at their math there because your average home, I want to say emits somewhere between six and 10 tons of CO2 a year, including cars and stuff. Um, it's really the equivalent of about a kindergarten class full of kids. So, so the, the other thing of course is it's going to, they're going to use the same line that they're using for gas stoves and, and cars we're going to save money, Mike. 
Yeah, man. I, nothing I we like are going to save money. Nothing I like better than my friends in the federal government telling me how to save cash. Because, you know, Fitch downgraded me the other day. Oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> All right. So here's one from across the pond. This is from Reuters. Britain boosts latest renewable power subsidy round by 22 million pounds. Britain has increased the amount available in its latest auction round to spur renewable power projects by 22 million pounds, $28 million, taking the total to 227 million pounds, the government said on Thursday. The move this is the this is the rich part. The move comes after Britain's energy secretary met with industry leaders on Wednesday to discuss, quote, investment in new energy projects to help boost the country's energy security and meet its net zero projections. Um, this funding boost is expected to send a powerful signal to the industry, increasing developer confidence in the sector every year and enhancing the UK's reputation as among the most attractive places to invest. I'm sorry, who wrote this? This was uh, the Department of Energy Security uh, and Net Zero said in a statement. So, oh, so they just literally just ran the guy's statement? In the fifth round, the budget for established technologies for such as solar and offshore will be increased to 190 million, blah, 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 so on and so forth. So I just absolutely, I brought that up because it just, it's just amazing to me how we've sort of glossed over this whole industrial policy thing. Like we're getting, you know, the, the, these companies are sitting around tables with, with governments saying, how much money are you going to dole out for me so I can make a product? Did you, did, you may have missed this, but this story came out yesterday or the day before that first solar, um, is going to make 900 million bucks this year. And 90% of it is, um, is subsidies. Did you see this? I didn't see that. Yeah, it was reported. It was reported. I'm trying to remember where, um, and there was no, there was no argument from the first solar people, right? They, I don't think they were, I think they had no comment at the thing. Um, so yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. They're sitting around waiting for their subsidies. I'm sitting around waiting for my subsidy. We I'm waiting for mine too. Wait, where's my grant? We know what we for need the, for the unregulated podcast. We need an investment tax credit for podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Something so. that something that's direct. You know pay, what we so. do need. We do need look, our listeners. You're happy. You're you can donate to the American Energy Alliance anytime you want, and it'll True. help fuel. It will help fuel this great podcast of ours. So true. And yeah. Just ask us how, and we'll send you a one pager on how to give. So. Exactly. All right, I got a shot in a chaser. I thought this was hilarious. I'll start with this. This is from Reuters this morning, actually. U.S. sees price cap on Russian oil working despite upturn in prices. United States remains confident that the group of sevens price cap on Russian oil is working to squeeze Moscow's revenue and stabilize energy markets. Despite a recent upturn in prices, a senior U.S. Treasury official said on Thursday uh, in remarks, acting secretary for economic policy, Eric Von Nostrand hailed the price cap as a successful part of the multilateral sanctions 
regime imposed on Russia over its invasion of Ukraine and said Washington and its partners were working to thwart any evasion. Our approach has struck at the heart of the Kremlin's most important cash cow. Before the war, oil revenues constituted about a third of total Russians' budget, but in 2023, that number has fallen to just 25%. Um, let's see, where's the where's the uh, the other one I wanted to? Oh, here we go. Von Nostrand said the cap was continuing to limit Russian revenues while giving quote unquote non-coalition buyers additional leverage to negotiate prices down. Low-income countries have been the beneficiaries of this stability as they continue to import discounted Russian oil that the G G7 no longer takes or benefit from generally to low lower global oil prices, he said. Are you ready for the chaser? Golly, the first part was bad enough. Go ahead. You ready for the chaser? This is from a column also in Reuters also this morning. Asia crude imports hit high as China, India gorge on Russian oil. Of course. I mean, well, in all fairness, that's what the guy wait, said. He said, hey, no, the, other guys, the other guys are going to buy this. The non-coalition partners are going to buy lower this. Lower income countries? Well, in all fairness, China and India are lower income countries. Okay. Relatively speaking, but hardly like little, tiny, little desperate countries needing just, you know, to, you know, to add to their their fuel stocks right asia's crude imports lifted to a record high in july as the top importing regions two biggest buyers continue to take large volumes of discounted russian oil a total of 27.92 million dollars a day arrived in asia in july according to uh, data compiled by revent oil research a record high of 27 beating a rec previous record high of 27.3 uh in june so the biggest beneficiary of the u.s's successful program to cap russian oil are china and india golly man Get, whatever <laughs> we have a successful cap it makes us it makes the Russians sell to India and China instead of Germany and, and France. Yeah, and reduces their revenue slightly. Yeah. I, what? Okay. I'm sorry. I just... If that's how you guys sleep at night, okay. It's how they measure success around here. They're gonna, okay. They're gonna... There are lots of... There's a lot of stuff swirling out there on EVs. Um, and I know we talk about EVs a lot. So we'll save it for next week or the week after. There's all kinds of, you know lies and damn lies and statistics running around about who's up and who's down. Uh, but this, as I was doing research, I came across this clip from, there's a guy on Twitter on X called uh, the car dealership guy. That's his Twitter handle. And he pulls out all these little gems uh, in car dealer world. And I wanted to put, it's a little bit long, but I wanted to play this uh, and then we can talk about it or not. I just thought our viewers would be interested. Ford has been frustrating for its dealer base. Uh, you know, if you've been a Ford dealer, you might have had the store for generations. Then you have, feel I think for some dealers, I feel like Mr. Farley is trying to become Elon Musk. Right? We're just going to throw away the old business model and adopt EVs. And, um, you know, splitting the company into three parts and him deciding to run the EV side 
you know, okay, if you're a guy that makes 100% of your income selling ICE vehicles, I'm not sure that makes you feel great. And when they said, hey, you know, you're going to have to invest, at one point it was a million seven per store to qualify, to, to even get EVs shipped to your store. That's a significant burden for almost every Ford dealer because the average Ford store is pretty small. They sell maybe 500 new units a year. So to invest a million seven, how many EVs will you get? What will the margin get? Like the payback period is terrible. Uh, and yet still a lot of dealers are trying to do it. Like, and, and then – the math on this sometimes it gets a little comical. For instance, we had a client in the upper Midwest uh, that called the city and said, Hey, I want to put in these EV charging stations. Can you have enough capacity? They said, no, you don't have enough capacity and we can't bring you any capacity for just more, more electricity. They couldn't bring it to a store. So he bought the chargers from the Ford supplier. He installed them. He built a wall a six foot wall uh, on two sides. And then behind the wall, mm -hmm. he installed a diesel generator that powered the EV charger. That, that, that boy sounds like he's creative, man. Good for him. Uh, the clip, the clip really speaks for itself, but I mean, this whole thing is just as it's just ridiculous. Car dealers, car dealers are the weak are the weak link here. They're going to be the guys who, who who lose the most, object the most. I mean, other than citizens, right? I mean, but but in the, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. This little tussle we're about to have. They're just they're stuck in the middle. Like they want to sell cars, but they they can't sell cars unless the dealers give them the makers give them cars to sell. Yeah, well, that's the hey. problem, right? They don't want to piss off their only vendors. So, and then, you know, all these cars are sitting on lots, double and triple the amount of time than a normal car does. So, you know, we'll get into this next week, but the, the part that bothers me the most is this whole thing is being sold on, on the idea that these are somehow better for us in the long run for the planet. And you just heard what he said. They're, they're you know, China's, uh, EVs are powered by coal, and now our our EVs are going to be charged with with diesel, uh, diesel generator, diesel behind a six foot wall. Yeah, diesel diesel behind so, a behind the meter. So this is not this is not serious stuff. Like I folks. said, I'm looking this forward to seeing how this tussle develops. It, it's a they're trying to sell a bad product to people who are clueless. And I still don't under like when did it become the like the religious six symbol for this whole movement like wh what part of where did I, where did i miss that well i mean the environmental movement has you know gotten bought out by the wind and solar and ev guys i mean that that's you know they've let it happen right they become the, they become the grassroots and political organizations said for those it starts out as a movement and then ends up as a racket eric hoffer yeah. eric hoffer all know. right, so uh, moving, shifting over to polling, uh, this is appropriate and, and a good segue. This is from NPR. NPR, PBS NewsHour, and Marist just did a comprehensive survey, but they led with this. Three-quarters of Republicans prioritize the economy over climate change. What? It's hot. It's hot, and some apparently don't mind it that way. The late, this is literally from the article. 
The latest heat wave is fueled by human-caused climate change from burning fossil fuels. But despite the settled science, the overwhelming evidence and the billions of dollars in increases for disaster preparation and recovery that climate change is costing the country, Republicans have grown more skeptical of the need to prioritize fixing it, according to the latest poll. Yeah, they seem kind of pissed off about that. Yeah, that was the that was the setup. That's the, that edi- was- that's the editorial lead by NPR. No yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Overall, majority of respondents, 53% said addressing climate change should be given priority, even at the risk of slowing the economy. That included 80% of Democrats and 54% of independents. But almost three quarters of Republicans, 72%, said the economy should be given priority, even at the risk of ignoring climate change. That is up 13 points since 2018 despite the increases in climate change-related weather disasters. Oh, despite those, huh? Despite those? Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a couple other tidbits. A plurality of Republicans, 43%, said climate change won't have a serious impact on their communities at all. Another third said they would only have a minor one. uh, Democrats, a solid majority, called it a major threat including almost nine in 10, uh, but 70% uh, of Republicans said it's either just minor or no threat at all. Yeah, that's some lousy survey work there. I'll tell you why. Because if you really wanted to be serious about it, you wouldn't go major to minor, or I assume there was something in between like medium or some stupid thing. You would say, is climate change an existential threat? Because that's what I keep hearing. I mean, uh, that's what everybody tells me. I'd be interested to see what the uptake on that message is. But, you know, they're not going to ask that question in NPR's survey because they know the answer would be literally nobody believes that. Not even not even the most message-addicted Democratic junkie believes that. Yeah. You guys, listen, you just – if you're going to read anything in the notes today, read this not so much for the survey results, which, by the way, they get into other issues like – confidence in our institutions and biden's uh, approval rating which is in this survey a mere 41 percent um including just 34 with independence um but it's just the editorializing that goes on right um former president donald trump has talked down the impact uh for years uh, and then it gets into a National Ocean Service technical report and says that sea levels are expected to rise up to a foot in the next 30 years uh, and so on and so forth. The country will see two feet of rise by the end of the century. And despite all the evidence, Trump has lied and called climate change a hoax and implied it would only maybe affect us in 300 years and so on and so forth. So clearly they're a little bit upset uh, that Republicans aren't aren't responding in kind, but here's my, here's why I brought this up. Yeah. This is why I brought this up. This is a, if there was any, if there was better proof that this was a political issue, an organizational issue and a tool for the democratic party then it would it shows up in this polling. They're getting exactly what they asked for in terms of support and opposition to these to this to this issue, right? It's an eighty percent issue for Democrats, and it's the reverse for Republicans. I don't know what else constitutes a political issue 
when you when you break it down by by party like that. Yeah, that's and, true. That's true. But you know, the thing is, the thing is, is that um, the eighty percent of the Democrats who say, "Hey, it's a major threat," very very few of them, less than one in ten, is willing to pay anything to do anything about it. Right. Well, they're happy that the government will will you know pay pay others. Yeah, I was going to say they do something about it, but they don't want to be That's right. They're happy to take the subsidies, also. You know, that's why that's why you're never going to be able to sell a carbon tax or carbon tariff or whatever the young people are calling it nowadays. And they're and they're also happy to uh, buy themselves gener backup generators to uh, mitigate the impacts of all of this stuff, right? From the reliability standpoint, so uh, there was a big New York Times poll that had Biden and and Trump in a dead heat, and I'm not sure why it generated all kinds of news stories, uh, other than just to try to create click clickbait because the survey is it's been static year over year that they've been in a relative dead heat. So uh, I don't know what the big deal was, but there was that. And then this last one I came across from Gallup. Uh, did you? You might find this interesting. Free Beacon reported on it. More Americans are Republicans than Democrats, according to multiple Gallup polls this year, upending a trend that had been going on since 1988. Gallup's most recent monthly poll conducted throughout July found 27% of the country are Republicans compared with 25 who are Democrats. Yeah, that that self-identification stuff is interesting, but you know, Gallup tracks it. They ask it every month, and they they've been asking it every month for sixty years now. But well, of course, forty-five percent identify as independents, yeah, right? Like that's go, the story. Go away and leave so, me alone. Yeah, no, you know, well, the, it's, it's the country it's, is divided into twenty-five percent, roughly, self-identified D's. Plus or minus twenty five percent R's and the rest don't don't affiliate any longer. That's right. So and, and uh, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. And that's why, that's why you get seventy percent of the population is like, I wish somebody else would run. Right. Because even if your own guy's like, yeah, I'm really excited about my own guy, literally no one else is. So presto, you wind up with seventy percent saying, yeah, I don't like either of them. All right, so that's my that's it. I ha that's all I have for the polling and stuff this week. That's probably enough. I got nothing else. What about you, sir? I have the nothing. floor is yours. I have nothing. We've been talking too long. You haven't been is. bringing anything to the table lately. You got to come with some with some game. You got to bring some game. Or what? Are you going to? Because it's too gonna, much work for me, man. Gonna, I need gonna, help. Gonna, I need like half the show. I need you to give me some, you know, some did stuff. I, did I not with. talk? Wait a minute. Did I not tell you that that Otani was overrated? Did I not talk about the importance of gamers? You you are excellent at, did I not, at did commenting I not on my stuff. You just don't bring any stuff anymore. You used to at least have two or three things. So, oh boy. so bring bring some stuff next week is all I'm saying. Ladies, That's and, all. ladies and gentlemen, this is how my life is. It's not enough to be brilliant. <laughs> it's not enough to know a bunch of stuff. Now, apparently, Wait, I've got to bring freeze? my... No. Now, apparently, I need to bring my own lunch to these things. Okay. All right. Well, that is about all I've got for this episode, except we've got to close with a fireside chat from President Biden. 
I went to a Catholic grade school. We didn't often get invited to the cotillion, which was in the local school down the street at Mount Pleasant School. And so I got invited and I was going to go. I was all excited about going. I think it was ninth grade, maybe it was eighth grade, a little dance. And there was a guy who was a good athlete. I was a relatively good athlete. He was a good athlete from the school, the other school, big guy. Became friends, but uh, so I'm getting dressed and I didn't have a shirt to wear. So my mother got my uncle's shirt, who was a smaller man than my dad, and French cuffs and rolled up the cuffs so that who looked like it fit. And I couldn't find my dad's, we couldn't find my dad's cufflinks. So my mom went and got a nut and a bolt. I wonder why she was down, downstairs in the laundry room looking for and put them on. I said, Mom, I can't do this. They'll make fun of me. I'll be embarrassed. So if anybody comes up and says anything to you, you look at them and say, and here's what she told me to say, this guy, Frank, came up to me and said, hey, look at Biden, look what he's got here, hey. And I looked at him and said, you don't have a pair of these? <laughs> Nuts and bolts. I can't, I can't say that. We have the title to our, to our episode. There's no doubt about it. I I just I love his stories. I really do. I can't get enough of them. They 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 just tickle my heart. And that that whoever was inter- he interviewed with, I don't know what how how that how, how he got there. No, I don't know how he was able to pretend it was even remotely funny. It, it so you know he's he's like I said he's I've said this before. He's like the uncle at Thanksgiving. You just can't shake, man. <laughs> You want, him, uh, you want him to go away, and he just won't go away. Well, we are going to go away. That's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen, for the 142nd episode in the books. Namaste. Hey.